You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Philippe Lazaro. He is the creative director at Plant With Purpose. Philippe, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Zach. So can you tell us a little bit about Plant With Purpose and and specifically your role within the organization? We've had you guys on the show uh, before in previous episodes. So maybe let's focus on your role within Plant With Purpose. That sounds great. Well, the, the short synopsis of who we are is we aim to help uh, global communities around the world that are struggling with poverty, uh, really connected to environmental issues, um, overcome those challenges. I serve as our marketing director, our, our, our creative director, our marketing guy. Uh, <laughs> as it goes with a lot of nonprofits, I wear a lot of hats, but basically a lot of our outward communication and, and telling the story about what it is we do. Very cool. And and what have you guys been up to lately that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, well, we've recently experienced a lot of growth as an organization. We're, we're now at the point where we can help um, communities in some of the, the poorest or most challenging places in the world to live um, plant about 5 million trees a year uh, to help repair their ecosystem. And that keeps growing. We recently started working in Ethiopia. Uh, Ethiopia in and of itself has a really fascinating story to tell uh, when it comes to um, faith and the environment. Uh, they have a rich tradition of churches um, being at the forefront of protecting forest spaces. And I, I think um, a lot of churches outside Ethiopia can learn from their example with uh, creation care and environmental stewardship. So those are a few of the things that uh, have been more recent that I've been quite excited about. Now, are you referring to the the Ethiopian church forests? I am, yes. <laughs> awesome. So, so what? Maybe give a little history to that because you know, I'd be interested to hear just maybe a slight summarization to that, and then how you guys have become affiliated with that that space. Sure. Yeah. Well, so Ethiopia is um, it's one of the most deforested countries in the world, um, and a lot of that deforestation was recent, as in within the past century or so. So so historically, a lot of Ethiopia would have looked rich and lush, very green. Um, but now if you look, you know, even just on Google Earth and turn on the, the satellite view and see what, what it looks like, you'll see mostly patches of brown and, uh, and a lot of um, degraded or damaged land. Uh, scattered amongst that, those brown and dry areas, though, you'll find rings of rich green forests and at the center of pretty much all of those um, those little forests are churches, and that's because uh, the the Orthodox Church of Ethiopia, in particular, um, has really integrated the practice of of stewarding this forest and taking care of it um, as a spiritual discipline in its tradition. And so um, now we're working with those churches in every country we work in. We work with churches locally, um, 
there we're working with them to help connect those forests and use them kind of as a, a starting point for helping resolve some of the broader environmental challenges across all of Ethiopia. That's really cool. Can can you share maybe your the background behind your guys' approach to partner with the local church? Um, for me, that the idea of a parachurch organization um, making the church beautiful, the bride beautiful, and and coming alongside to support the local or the global churches has been on my mind a lot lately. And so, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts around. Um, just supporting and, and, and making the bride beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. We, we often refer to what we do as um, a, a three-circle Venn diagram or, or a three-legged stool of uh, environmental restoration, uh, economic development, and spiritual renewal. And we kind of, you know, the program doesn't work without, without these components. And I think uh, it can be tempting to just kind of tack on the faith component um, onto work that can be otherwise done. But we really wanted to see how can we integrate this lens of spiritual renewal in a way that, that our, our work was really incomplete without it. And we found that, you know, so much of how people are able to steward their land and take care of their environment uh, is connected to the, the relationship we have with its creator and our understanding of what our role is um, as a part of creation and, and as stewards and as people who've been given the, the first commandment of um, taking care of the earth. And so we found that what is really effective is not just, you know, drop introducing a bunch of new ideas or practices to a community, but really mm-hmm. starting kind of at, at the root level. And that, that includes spiritual beliefs in, yeah, what you, what you think about things like the land you live in from, from a spiritual perspective. Uh, and of course, working across um, eight countries, and hopefully that number continues to grow, uh, you know, there's a lot of different contexts and cultures in which we work in. And so teaming up with local churches where people understand that uh, the daily concerns of their community best and understand their perspectives and their histories um, has really been the most effective way we've found to do that. And we've seen a lot of growth. We've seen our people um, who participate in our program um, just report a greater sense of unity in their communities and, and a desire to work together to solve problems as a result. That's amazing. So the success that you guys have seen has has been, can be attributed to your partnership with the church. I think so, yeah. It's not, it's, um, you know, I don't think our any of the work we've done would have been possible without having the role that the churches have played uh, as a part of it. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I, I don't, you know, I don't have any statistics behind this, but um, I feel like a lot of times organizations, especially especially in the parachurch space, um, don't see maybe the church doing what it's called to, and so they go start a parachurch organization uh, in spite of the local or global church. Um, but this idea of partnering with the church because it's God's first and only plan and he doesn't have a backup plan mm-hmm. to, to do his work through the body of Christ. Um, and so I love it when I, when we see organizations and parachurch organizations specifically like yours who are saying, no, Hey, the church is God's primary objective. It's his, if it's his only plan, he doesn't have a backup plan and we're going to, 
we're going to come alongside the church and make the church beautiful and partner with the church. And um, uh, I just uh, I love that idea. And I love seeing what that partnership can do when we do that well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of it is, you know, it kind of fits into the broader theme of sustainability, not just trying to introduce silver bullets or, or just new ideas totally from the outside, but to look at what's already there, what's been at work and how do we come alongside that and, and play our role well. So I agree with what you just said. <laughs> yeah. So what has been, uh, this is a bit of a shift, but what has been one of the hardest lessons you've learned specifically on the marketing side as you've um, worked with Plant With Purpose and um, maybe maybe specifically around that growth that you guys have seen? Maybe that some of that is due to your marketing efforts, but um, we we live in a culture and a, are going through a cultural shift in our our marketing landscape. And and so, how have you guys dealt with that? And what are kind of the lessons you've learned um, learning this new kind of the changes and, and shifts in the marketing landscape? Sure. Yeah. Well, so let me see. I'll I'll talk about a, a personal challenge I've had initially with the marketing aspect of what I do, and then also just a challenge uh, as a marketing activity. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll point out how they connect to each other. So, so starting with a personal challenge, I, you know, I'm still sometimes surprised that <laughs> my job title has the word marketing in it. <laughs> you know, I think there was actually a time in my life where I thought, oh, I could see myself doing so many things for, for a living one day, but I, I don't know if I could ever do something that's marketing or that's selling stuff to people, you know? <laughs> which is exactly um, my my title now or one of the hats I wear. But I think that's because my perspective on marketing, and I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of other people just hear that word and have the same reaction, is that it's all about you know selling stuff to people or constantly right. pitching new ideas and trying to, to bring people on board. And <laughs> I'm the kind of person who uh, no more than necessary doesn't want to tell people what to do. And I, I don't want to, especially not around buying things or consuming more. So I, I that was something that, um, yeah, I couldn't see myself doing. And I had a hard time really even entertaining the idea that uh, huh, marketing might be a very valuable way that I could contribute to, to God's kingdom. You know, those almost seemed like separate languages for me. I, right. Um, so that was one challenge. The other challenge is that for anyone in marketing, uh, who whose role is to promote something or to even raise awareness. Um, I think you alluded to this just a second ago. One of the biggest challenges these days is just getting people's attention. Um, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, finding yourself with a captive audience to hear what you have to say, especially if it's a valuable thing. Um, part of it is, you know, it's not like back in the day when everybody used to watch the same five channels and that's it. Uh, there is so much more competition for people's uh, listening attention and, and viewership and eyeballs on articles and just everything. Uh, it's been supported by technology. Things have been drifting that way for some time. Uh, and, and along with that, people have adapted more to, to tuning out to what's not important to them, um, probably as mm -hmm. a response. It's like this cat and mouse pursuit. And I think the thing that I learned that helped me um, have a better perspective on both of them was realizing that marketing, a better way to think about it would be as an act of generosity. Um, so in terms of trying to get people's attention, you know, it's not just putting 
your, you know, like a quick advertisement in front of them that tells them how great you are as a company or as a brand or whatever. It's more about, you know, connecting with um, the folks you're talking to and helping them grow as people, as individuals into, into the best versions of themselves, you know, into the people who, who God intended them to be. And I, I think that, you know, for me being able to do marketing for a, a Christian organization or, or one that um, really can be a vehicle through which people can do that um, has helped resolve my, <laughs> my desire for marketing to no longer be an, an icky thing. And the more I realized that I like played with this idea and entertained it, the more I started to see that the more generous, the more I saw marketing as an act of generosity, the more I saw it as a, a chance to serve people and to help them, um, you know, become better stewards of creation and, and become more equipped to talk about why that's important from a, a Christian standpoint. Uh really just giving away resources and inspiration and ideas and helpful things, uh, the more helpful it was for the people reading it, the more helpful it was for Plant With Purpose as an organization, uh, just the more growth we've seen uh, by several diff- different definitions of growth. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you guys are taking a, a very like provide value um, pursuit to your marketing efforts. Is that would that kind of sum up your thought process around how you communicate to your audience? Like we're going to, we're going to provide, figure out some way to provide value to our audience before we make some type of, you know, financial ask to invest in our organization. Exactly. Yeah. That's actually a, a term I use a lot is how do we make sure this, this has value. And you know that by having value, it allows you to connect with more people. And as you connect with people, you're building that relationship with them. You're, you're stewarding them. And then that, you know, the, the financial ask comes on the heels of that, you know, and, and by that point, it's more um, just like we like to think of ourselves as partners with our participants internationally. It's also a partnership with our folks um, locally or domestically who are making our work possible through their support. Um, it's all kind of playing different positions on the same team. Awesome. So can can you, with that said, can you share maybe a 30,000 foot view of what your current marketing strategy looks like um, to your audience with that like value add uh, marketing mindset in, in uh, what's the word I'm looking for? With that value add marketing mindset in sure, mind. Yeah. Well, I guess add value make sure everything has value is kind of the the very shortest version of how you can sum up our uh, our marketing strategy um more broadly it's how do we become um helpful guides and, and people that uh our our audience can turn to as a source for encouragement inspiration and um information about um environmental stewardship and so that Mm -hmm. that includes um you know sharing a lot of stories directly from the field to remind folks of how how much the environment impacts people's lives especially the most vulnerable communities that rely on uh, the land and agriculture for their survival um and couple that with things like uh ideas or, or encouragement of how you can live sustainably uh, in your own life locally, uh, it, it provide that com- 
combine that with some more global knowledge of uh, just statistics or things that are helpful or exciting or interesting to know, and you start to get all these different forms of value. You know, I think so. So to educate, to encourage, to inspire, these are sort of these action-oriented things that we try to do with each marketing piece that we put out. That's really interesting. So <clears throat> talk to me about that educate, encourage, and inspire piece, because we encourage our clients to educate, inform, and inspire in, in, and think of their content um, production in those terms. So obviously every organization has a, uh, an ability to inform uh, their audience on what's going on with their organization. They all have an ability to educate in some way around the causes that they're they're working to fight for or, or whatnot. And then there's always opportunities, especially if your organization has um, stories of how God is working through your organization, which, you know, if, if you're doing what God's called you to do, then there's obviously going to be stories of how he's working in your organization. And so those inspiration stories um, are all those three categories uh, are are ways we encourage organizations to communicate to the audience and create content at scale when you can think about your your content production in those three categories. Um, so where where are some of those ideas coming from this educate, encourage, and inspire for you guys because those are some familiar terms, and I'd love to hear how. Um, you got you came to this realization with that that process. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's really cool that those are are that's very close to the same language you've been using. I, I didn't even realize that until this moment. But um, you know, I think that we we the people we talk to um, in a, in our marketing and fundraising and developing activities uh, is quite different than the people we're talking to through our programs. You know, a, a lot of times. Um, and a lot of times these people might not get the chance to interact or to meet each other. And so, you know, I think that um, every participant in the global church kind of has an opportunity, ha has a perspective that can be informative and educational and inspiring to, to people who are just in a very different context. You know, we all have the ability to learn from each other. Um, no matter on mm -hmm. which sides of the of the sphere we're on, uh, and so I think I've started to see my role more so as um, almost kind of like a, a middle person or a point person, um, because I personally receive so much um, inspiration and encouragement from things I see in our programs, from the stories I hear from our participants, from the the times that I get to go. Um, see their their home areas myself and uh witness mm -hmm. what's going on firsthand um it changes uh my perspective on things like um you know just wanting to be a better better steward of of the resources and, and the things god has given me and so you know i i find it less challenging when i just allow that um that knowledge, those insights, the things that make me go, aha, or, or the things that just make me stop and ponder on them for a while. So then take that wonder, take that encouragement and pass it forward rather than trying to just generate it myself. So this idea that we all have experiences and we all have 
opinions and we all have like an upbringing of education and learning that we can share with others. And, and so you guys are trying to encourage that within your donor base and, and audience to kind of take the ideas around what you guys are working towards and have them share that on your behalf. Yeah, I, I think that's, um, sorry, <laughs> repeat that question one more time. Uh, I guess, I guess I'm trying to get at like this, this education and inspiration and inform idea that, um, at the end of the day for us, we encourage that because it helps ministries like break down their content production. We all know, especially in the current landscape of marketing, mm -hmm. That in order to break through some of the noise, we have to be communicating on a pretty consistent basis, right. right? And so that can be, that can be daunting for a ministry to come up with or create content at scale, uh, is, is a pretty significant chore and, and can be uh, overwhelming and can be, um, I think the best word is overwhelming yeah. <laughs> that, that the idea of creating content at scale can be overwhelming. And so we try to, in an attempt to help organizations think through what kind of content they can be producing, we break it down into those categories, educate, inform, and inspire. And so as you, as organizations think about or ministries think about their content production, um, they can break it down. And, and the, one of the pieces that is really cool about educate, uh, and I like to give this example uh, of Tesla. So Tesla is, as far as brands around education go, um, they're one of the best educators in that I've found. And if you've ever talked to somebody that owns a Tesla and you ask them about their Tesla, you're going to have to be ready to <laughs> listen to them talk about their Tesla for the next 30 minutes, right? Like they, they're so educated by the brand that they just have a ton of excitement around all that knowledge that they have and th they want to share it with mm. the world. Uh, and so how, how can ministries apply this same idea to their donor bases and audiences so that those audiences can then go share the, the brand or the ministry on behalf of the brand. So you can kind of develop teams around, around communicating about plant with purpose by saying, Hey, we're going to educate you guys and get you so excited about what's going on, uh, with create creation care and, uh, economic development and spiritual renewal and, and these things that are core to who you are as an organization. We're going to educate our donor base, get them excited around these things so that they could talk about us to their audiences. Does that yeah, kind of make yeah, sense? Yeah, I totally get it. And I, I love that Tesla example, actually, because hey, it's very accurate. I think we've seen an example of that. <laughs> uh, there's another example I like to use a lot. And I'm, it's unfortunate because I'm forgetting the guy's exact name, but he runs a just a pool resurfacing company in Virginia somewhere. You know, very like mom and pop type business. And for a while, mm -hmm. um, you know, he started doing this thing where anytime somebody asked him a question about maintaining their pool, he would just write out his answer and then hit publish to his blog like that. And just by doing that each and every time, he came up with his blog turned into the most helpful resource for anyone out there with a pool wanting to maintain it. And, and I think subsequently his business really boomed as a result and he expanded to several yeah. locations without even really planning on it from the get-go so um all that to say that example the tesla example be helpful <laughs> you know um so that's actually yeah. one great way to do that if you're the type of organization or ministry that gets questions a lot related to what you do related to 
a specific niche or area that you speak to, um, capture those questions, you know, <laughs> find a way to record it. Um, maybe you answer that person. And then as soon as you get the chance to sit down and write, you type it up, you think of how to <laughs> make a more polished version of that answer. And, and um, if you get asked questions a lot, you'll find that a lot of your content tends to get generated that way. Um, so that's one big example. I think a couple other things I would add to that are um, make sure the way you're, you're sharing this information is clear. Uh, I think the way the term I've heard you use to describe it is make sure your, your messages or your information is portable. So if I explain mm-hmm. how, how to, what's so great about my Tesla to you, will you then explain it to the next person in a way that's still pretty close to how Tesla intended it? <laughs> you know? And I think this was right. a challenge for, for Plant with Purpose for a long time because uh, a lot of the work we do has the potential to be kind of technical. You know, we have a lot of, um, a lot of science right. and, and rigorous data gathering involved. Um, which is great from a standpoint of knowing that our work is effective and also being able to talk in those languages to when it's appropriate, but also understanding how to, how to make that easily communicated so that people can, can grasp it and pass it forward, um, in a portable way. That's really a great word for it. Uh, I, I really don't like the term dumbing down your message for the sake of simplicity because i think finding a simple and concise way to say something complex is actually really smart and takes a lot of um intelligence oh it's incredibly yeah, difficult creativity to figure out how to do it so yeah so <laughs> the opposite of dumbing down simplifying smartly simplifying your message uh, in a in a pragmatic way um and then also yeah i think um, to inform, to educate, to inspire is great. And when you can do multiples of those things at the same time, you know, it's, um, it's mm. tough to capture it, but when you can, though, that's really when, when things start to fire on all cylinders, I think of some really great, like, uh, like podcast episodes, um, uh, think like, uh, radio lab, some of their episodes do this really well, where you feel like you've learned a lot, but you also feel the sense of, whoa when you when you've been introduced to something and so i think that's right an incredible feeling that isn't easy to produce but when you can it um it's just great for everyone involved yeah that's really interesting yeah the the idea of a a clear message I, i think you're right dumbing down is not the the right terminology i think there's a lot of creativity and skill uh in creating a message that's clear and simple and, and easy to communicate to um, anybody that hears it. And and I think for a lot of ministry leaders and executives, we, we know our organization so well, and we know the details of our strategies and all the stats and data around everything. And we can tell you all the stories and we try to take all of those things and cram them all into our message uh, and it starts to get muddy and starts to get convoluted. And um, when you can when you can cl- create a message that's clear or, or has clarity, um, it's one. It's going to be easier for those within your organization to go and execute on the vision of the organization. Your staff, your volunteers, your employees, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but then back to what we talked about earlier, uh, when we start asking our donor base 
to advocate and and be brand advocates or be advocating on the on behalf of our ministry and and sharing our ministry with their own networks um it's really important to have a clear message and, and make it easy for them to explain what we do because if they can't uh it's you're right it's going to get so muddy so quick um and so we we need a we want to make sure that a message is incredibly clear and and easy for people to talk about us and share us with with their their audiences and their friends and family and networks and um so that's yeah it's, it's something that we really really encourage organizations to create clarity within their messaging um i want to shift a little bit how it's still within the same vein of marketing but how do you think about um, the purpose of common marketing activities like social media and email um, and assure that your marketing strategy for the year is focused and efficient. And and how do you guys prioritize where your time and effort is focused? Yeah, great question. Well, and it kind of builds off of a lot we a lot of what we just talked about. So social media, email, those are a lot of you know communication pieces. So again, trying to add value and to to serve the the people who will be receiving uh, those bits of communication. I think the, the broader purpose behind that is to to build and to further cultivate the relationship we have with with people. You know, I think um, in some cases we're able to establish um, an actual personal relationship between our our fundraising team and, and that individual. But as we're growing and growing beyond the capacity to do that with every single person, this is another way through which our organization can build and nurture relationships. And so really thinking of it relationally and <laughs> to keep using some of the same words as a partnership, as um, yeah, as providing service and value and generosity to people, that's been our way of going about it. Um, I think we're at a point now where we're, we've experienced a lot of growth. And so that kind of means uh, that raises the desire to do more. Um, and our growth and staff capacity rides on the tail of that. So it hasn't quite happened yet. So I think we've right now choosing very deliberately to focus on what are things we can do really well and put some time, like put the proper thought into it to make sure that they're of a quality where we can be proud of it. We can, we think it'll be really helpful for whoever gets it. Um, and, and doing just enough of that to still be showing up consistently. So making sure you're not just doing social media because, you know, quote unquote, you're supposed to, or email because you're supposed to, um, there's, there's intentionality with everything that you guys do. And then before you add another piece, even though it may be a a popular marketing trend, you're not going to add something new until you've created a strategy that is uh, well executed and and you're doing it well with high quality and and making sure that what you are delivering is not, not just uh, flippant and and not thought through but um, has has very clear strategy and quality to it is that, am I understanding exactly, that properly? yeah and that's actually a great way to think of it you know when, whenever it comes to like social media or email if you ever find yourself feeling like you're you're doing something, just because you're supposed to. I always think when, when you have that feeling, it's a good chance to, I guess, take that as an invitation to yourself to like actually question why you're doing that or, and to look into it. You know, for example, you probably see a lot of, um, 
like marketing activities that organizations do to promote themselves, like email. You know, a lot of um, emails probably pop up into your inbox all the time, and I would see that and not think much of it. Uh, when I started looking into just sort of the the best practices and data and, and the reasons for why so many companies have invested heavily into email, the more I realized, oh, this is actually uh, really worth a lot more time and energy than I had initially placed on that. So, and, and you can kind of take mm-hmm. that same train of thought towards almost anything where you feel like you're just showing up because you're supposed to. And, and when you start to unpack, huh, why would we even do this activity in the first place? Then you can start to see how to really make the most of it and to, to get your time's worth out of it and to um, even have fun throughout the process. That's cool. Now, offline, you shared a topic that was really interest or, or of interest to me, and I'd love to explore this idea further with you. But uh, the topic you shared was the ethics of storytelling in international development. Can you explain that idea uh, and maybe share how you guys are prioritizing people's dignity while telling an honest sure, story? Yeah, well, that's a huge topic, <laughs> and one I one that um you know that there's a lot of tension and um. Yeah, it's just worth having a conversation about. I think the easiest time to know to the the chance where I most recognize why this is important is when I see uh, images being used in a not so ethical way, and I see the the effect that that has on people, on the community, and even on just the way we think about poverty and people in other other places, other contexts. Um, even at a subconscious level. You know, I think we've all probably seen like the the videos or images by of by charities of um, you know, kids with flies in their faces or digging through a dump site, mm-hmm. those, those really stereotypical things. And I think there's a big part of me that wants to just say like those are especially outdated practices, you know, maybe in like the 80s or 90s but we've moved away from it. And I do think we've seen a decrease in it, but I sadly still see um, a lot of images that are put out there that seem like they were uh, captured and published with the intention to generate shock or or pity um, rather than a sense of empathy and empowerment. Um, and so as much as I wish I could call that an outdated practice, I still see it enough times to want to know we want to not do that as an organization and we want to see how can we do uh, the exact opposite capture our um, images and visuals and stories uh, that represent people um, in the way God sees them with, with dignity um, and with strength and resilience. Uh, and I, I learn a lot from our partners about how to be more and more deliberate and intentional with this. I, as somebody who frequently goes to our programs to gather those media assets. What do you guys do to ensure that that you're not exploiting someone's story um, for your organization's benefits? Like, are there practices or procedures or principles that you guys follow to ensure that you're not in the business of exploitation um, with your storytelling? Like, are there things that you are tangibly doing that organizations could could say, "Oh, we can we can apply those to our ministry." Yeah, yeah, we have a few things we're doing, uh, and they range from at the broader philosophical level to things that are very um, uh, practical and, and tangible and implemented. 
So, you know, I think the, the broader scope of what we try and do is make sure if we, if we publish a story, if we share a story, if we um, take someone's photo, we want to make sure that we, if we were to take that finished product and bring it back into the community and, and show it to that person, that it's something that they would feel proud of and that they would stand by as well. Um, and we've actually seen this literally happen um, a number of times. We've been able to bring things like our annual report and show them to, to the person who was on the cover of it or uh, highlighted in one of its pages. And that's always actually really encouraging to see um, them look back at, at their own journey uh, and hear their responses to it. Um, and so that's one way we check to see if we're doing something right. Uh, with things even like social media, we think, well, wh how would the person in the story feel if they were following you on Facebook? And the funny thing is with how global Facebook's gotten is that often happens. <laughs> um, <you> know, <laughs> I, I, I've had s several people who um, I've met in the field then at us on different social media sites. So I think it always helps to be thinking of it that way. Um, you know, one way that has just cued me into the fact that um, our, our participants care about how they're presented is every time I go there, they they present themselves. Um, they really like to fix themselves up, you know. And this is just, this is just what mm -hmm. we all would do if we knew we were being photographed at work for a certain day, you know. And it's remembering that all people have this um, this imprint of God's image and the sense of human dignity where we would want to. Um, where that's what we're looking to capture and that's what we don't want to lose sight of. Um, and it connects to our, our organizational philosophy or we're really seeing the people we work with as partners um, rather than just projects, you know, because I think when you get into that mentality, yeah. project mentality uh, with people is when you kind of start to let those standards slip. Other safeguards we have are just very practical things. We have a, a written down rubric, um, you know, like literally listed several categories and said like, okay, this would be um, like a, a five-star photo. This would be a, a three-star, a two-star. And, and, you know, once we go, you know, we won't publish anything that has a two or a one. Uh, we'll aim for fours and fives every time. If it's a three, it, we'll see if some, uh, it can be rescued in any way that's appropriate, but to really be sure about that, you know, and it's not, it's, some of it is related to the quality of image and how relevant it is to, to the subject matter. But a big one is the presentation of the subject. Do, does their personality shine through in a dignified manner? Is it flattering? Um, mm -hmm. Is the lighting on their face gentle and clear? You know, if, I think with working with people of varying skin tones, that's an area that gets overlooked pretty frequently. <laughs> and so, yeah, right. Those are just a few of the things that we try and run through. And, and we also share the, these same internal guidelines with um, our, our staff members who are, um, who are nationals of our other partnering countries, just so we're all on the same page. And, and having them take ownership of some of the storytelling and collecting of this has been another great way to help because then we have people uh, who are closer and more proximate to the community, you know, telling stories of, from their own home from their own community and culture and so that that's just another proactive thing to do to help preserve the the human dignity in there that's a great idea so you guys are having your national partners do some of the storytelling on your behalf and one it's gonna 
there there's going to be cultural relevance to it, right? Because they're they're sharing stories from within their own culture, and they understand whether or not this is going to present somebody in a dignified light. Um, so, how often are you having your national partners storytell on behalf of Plant with Purpose? Yeah, and what does that process kind of look like? We're actually <laughs> trying to refine and get better at like as we speak. So um, hopefully the answer uh, improves even in just the next couple months. <laughs> uh, you know, it's something, you know, I think traditionally we've been getting um, just, you know, we get quarterly reports from our partners and that largely includes a lot of uh, data numbers about how many trees were planted or, or how many participants and, mm-hmm in each community are active. Um, but I think we've started to look for more qualitative stuff too. And so we've been seeing how we can include the, the story gathering and, and even photography as um, a part of that process. And so right now it's quarterly. We, of course, also still um, will sometimes send um, photographers and videographers. Not all of our partner staff organizations have like, you know, a dedicated person around this type of role. And so we want to be mindful of that. Um, if we ask for too much, we don't want to uh, pull someone away from their, their regular uh, responsibilities. Um, but it is just something that we're right. always in the process of, of getting better at. And I think we want to make sure that as we're, we're doing this, um, that our partners are very much included and a part of the decision-making. Now within your guys' storytelling, how do you, how are you balancing tension and conflict in your storytelling? And and are there story structures that you guys follow as a kind of a guide when developing a story or a campaign around a story? Yeah. So that, that is, this is one of the subjects that I <laughs> also can easily go down the rabbit hole with. Um, I love the cool art and science of storytelling, you know, and I, I'm sure you've probably at some point talked about kind of the story arcs and rising tension and falling and all that. I think, Kind of the simplest terms I like to mm-hmm. think of it is just in every story, there's this point in time in which you're, you know, pulled out of comfort, out of um, what's familiar, and you're in this new setting or this new environment. You have some tension that needs to resolve, and it's really that desire to resolve something that propels a plot forward in a narrative. Um, it's even how, like, music works if <laughs> you want to, like, start picking at it even further, just so much of us is wired to, to be captivated by the desire to resolve tension. And I think this is interesting because what I was just talking about was, you know, not showing exploitative images of poverty, which might be sort of the, the cheap version of how you can do this, you know? So it, it takes more, I, I guess, insight and more actual proximity to look for ways that, that, um, that you can find tension there in a way that's still dignifying to our, our participants. And while it, you know, it takes more time and effort, there's still an aspect of it, which um, doesn't have to be that hard. And that you, you can just talk to <laughs> our partners and fo- listen to their experiences and their stories. And as they're telling you, you know, you'll realize what was challenging for them and you'll get to hear it in their words. And uh, the way they take you through that experience has really helped guide me and think of, you know, what, what are the challenges of living in a place like rural Haiti? You know, as much as I'd want to be nowhere near that, like, 
exploitation of poverty through imagery, I also think it does a disservice to ignore those realities altogether. And that's not that's equally something I right. want to avoid. Uh, so yeah, allowing our partners to, to tell their stories and their experiences and relaying it, it I think oftentimes ends up being the best way to walk that line and to find uh, a way to, to drum up that tension, to tell that story while being mindful of, of the ethics of it. Yeah. I think that's so, that's so important is, is making sure that uh, we're not just going and, and telling stories, uh, you know, willy nilly, but we're, we're making sure that we're developing and building relationship with the people, especially the people who were, te- whose stories we're telling making sure that we're communicating with them and getting their permission and saying, Hey, thank you for sharing like what, what your past looks like and what God brought you out of and what he's brought you into. Can we share all aspects of those stories? And oftentimes, you know, more often than not, they'll, they'll give permission. But if we just go in and, and start telling some of somebody's past without getting that permission, um, that can be, that can be hurtful. And so, uh, we always try to make sure that we are building that and establishing that relationship first and, and not just being so heavily task oriented. You know, it's hard when, when you're going and, and a trip is, you know, a week long to create some content for ministries marketing purposes. Um, it, there's a tendency to be task oriented and driven and we got to get this done and, um, check these things off our list, but it can be at the uh, detriment to the, the, the persons you, you are trying to help and trying to invest in. And so making sure that you're developing that relationship and, and asking permission. And, and so we found that most often, more often than that, they do give that permission, but always make sure that, Hey, let's, we're going to make sure that we ask first. Mm-hmm. So, um, trend, let's transition a little bit. How do you do? You guys find it difficult to facilitate a a relationship with um, your donors and the communities that you support? Like, how do you think about connecting your donor to the stories that you're telling, and make sure that the stories you tell are relatable and engaging? Because I think that it's easy, especially in the Western world, to uh, look at some of these places that our ministries are working, and and have it not be relatable at all because it's two very different worlds. And so what are you guys doing to like, cross that bridge, yeah, if absolutely. you will, <laughs> or bridge that gap? So I think the, some of the challenges are, are some of the obvious ones, the, the geography, the distance between most of the people who uh, support our work and contribute to it financially and, and the people who are, um, on the ground in the communities where, where the work takes place. Um, on times where we're able to take visitors to see the work, so many things make sense, you know, and you see so much enthusiasm drummed up and, and a lot of things just click for people. And I think a lot of what I try to do through our storytelling, whether that's through photography, social media, emails, and, and just what we write, I, I think that's for, everybody else who can't make that trip. And that's going to end up being like 99% of the people we, we come into contact with. Um, so how, how do we do that? How do we drum up that connection? 
I think this goes back to why some of the things I just find fascinating about the science and art of storytelling. So every time I like find myself watching a movie or reading a, a good novel, I always end up going back and asking myself questions about it. So what did you notice that they did here uh, to like make you fall in love with, with that character really early on? And this is one of mm-hmm. the things I can geek out about easily. But but the more you pay attention to it, the more you start to see how like, you know, I think um, uh, places like Pixar are really deliberate about how, how they do this. You sometimes fall in love with characters because you see them do things that they love. You see them um, doing something generous or noble or, or display some quality that you wish to have uh, for yourself. You show them uh, in a, in a, in a setting that just seems really, really familiar. You know, I think there's a variety of different ways to do this, but one of the big ones is just from building some common ground right off the bat with the person, with the viewer and the person whose story is being told. So when I'm, I'm learning from our partners and I'm listening, I like to pay attention to the things that um, might at first seem like small details. Do they have kids? You know, what were some of their interests? What, you know, does their kid want to grow up to become a baseball player? You know, that's something that a lot of people can relate to, having kids with humongous ambitions. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for these little areas where our personality really shines through and, and um, gives the story kind of its own life is one of the big things I try and be sensitive to. That's cool. Now, we had uh, one of our videographers on on the podcast a couple episodes ago and asked him a similar question. And and one of the things that he learned early on in his career, he had created a film uh, for a client and there's a particular scene in that film where a little boy was brushing his teeth with a wooden spoon. And, And so that clip, it was a one, maybe one and a half second clip made it into the final edit. Uh, in in post production, and then when that film got shared at a conference, my uh, my buddy, my videographer that had shot that content or created that film, was in attendance at that conference, and so he got to watch the audience's reaction to his film, um, and he noticed that when, while the audience was watching that film there was more reaction to that little boy brushing his teeth with a little wooden stick uh even though there i don't even know if there was bristles on it like he was just pretending but um they reacted to that single clip more than anything else in the film like like audible um audible reaction to that scene and and he just came away from that experience realizing that there's things like that that can bridge that gap like hey that little boy brushes his teeth just like i brush my teeth um and, and that those type of things create uh, relatable um, connection between an audience in watching this oftentimes in the West to something going on in Africa or India or South America, whatever, you name it. Um, like looking for scenes to bridge, bridge that gap. Because at the end of the day, we're like you said, we're all um, created in our, our creator's image and, and, um, created with gifts, talents, and abilities, and we all live very similar lives. There's just a, a, a stark difference in what our material wealth looks like. Um, but at the end of the day, we're all 
humans created in his image. And so we have a ton that, that relates. And, and so um, finding how to figure out a way to bridge that gap and, and show that, Hey, these like, we're all, we're all very similar and there's not that much different about us um, across culture, across societies, across continents. Um, it's, it's, I think really uh, can be a lot easier if we look for it and, and pay attention when we're, when we're telling these yeah. stories. <laughs> kind of on like the other end of that spectrum. I was watching um, the two popes recently and, you know, it's like, talk about characters who are hard to make relatable. Who, you know, how do you relate to a Pope? There's yeah. only one other one and that's it. <laughs> and so, but that movie showed so many scenes where the two of them are watching a football game together or one's in plain clothes going to grab a slice of pizza. Um, and I just think like so much of what that stuff was in there for, um, and they ended up probably being some of the more memorable scenes were, were to do just that, build that sense of humanity and mm-hmm. common ground and connection. Yeah. Are there any, um, are there any resources that you guys have found or you particular Philippe uh, that have, you know, you've found along your journey as you've gained experience in this marketing space that you, that has, that's been particularly helpful in developing your creative strategies and storytelling approach. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I try and stay, um, tuned in to, to just a lot of the best practices and things that are going on in the marketing realm. Um, I find podcasts to be a great way. Just a few of them that are have I found to be especially helpful to me. Uh, Seth Godin's podcast. I feel like a lot of times I've wanted to just pull over so I could write everything down because I get a lot of um, insight from them. I think you know, and his each show uh, kind of goes in its own direction, but a lot of times he talks about the importance of kind of what we were talking about earlier with adding value to things. Or um, you know how mm-hmm. to how to make the sort of thing that serves your your target audience really well that that they want to share that really um, resonates. Um, there's another podcast I like called Creative Pep Talk. Uh, it's by um, an illustrator, and so uh, it, it is a very um, creativity oriented show. But there is also a lot in there that's just very practical and actionable. Uh, ranging from you know how to how to organize my work my approach to work and and um, creating content um, in a way that gets the most out of it to making sure it's seen by the right people. So those are just a few things mm-hmm. off the top of my head that um, I found uh, exciting and interesting. I, I guess one more I would add to there is just um, somebody a while ago published this list of what was it like the the twenty two things that um, Pixar does really well in sharing and telling its stories. And so that's uh, another thing that I, I go back to a lot, um, especially as I'm trying to dissect storytelling and see what others do that ends up being more effective. Awesome. So one of some of the things that we look to, we try to uh, encourage organizations in their storytelling processes to, to find a structure. And one, one of the structures that we, um, have really found some success in and enjoy working into some of the stories that we tell is mm-hmm. the hero's journey. And uh, that can, that's outlined in a couple books that, that we like to encourage organizations to read is one called the hero and the outlaw. And if you search on Amazon, um, it, 
pops up pretty quickly and, and I'll link to it in the show notes. But the other one is um, specifically relatable to some of the topics that you and I have discussed today, but it's a book by Jonah Sachs called Story Wars. And he particularly discusses um, kind of the history of story where we came out of uh, an oral tradition into the broadcast era, which is what most of us grew up in where the ABC, NBC uh, outlets of the world kind of had the control over the the narrative that was being pushed to audiences. And now we're in a, a post-broadcast area era, which is another oral tradition kind of era where, where we ha- now as the audience have a little bit more control over the stories that are getting told and we can push out stories that we like um, and, and not talk about ones that don't relate to us. And uh, the, the, me- the social media landscape that we're living in, um, allows for the audience to have a bit more control over the story and the narrative. And so those are some books that have been particularly uh, relevant when for us and, and thinking about how we storytell and think about marketing and, and think about content production. So that's just for the audience to kind of take a look at those, some of those materials and I'll link to all these in the show notes, but um, Philippe, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to be on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, can I play, pray for you and plant with purpose? I love that. Father, I just lift up Philippe. I pray that you would guide him as he leads the creative direction and, and storytelling direction for this organization, uh, plant with purpose. I pray that you would uh, bless him and give him clarity as, as he thinks about communicating your stories of how you're working through this organization. And um, I pray that you would uh, help him to continue to um, share your stories with dignity and and that there would be a ton of success that comes out of the work that he's doing for Plant With Purpose. Father, you're obviously working in incredible ways, uh, making disciples and rescuing and redeeming um, both people and your creation through Plant With Purpose. And so that's just a beautiful thing. And I pray that you would just continue to do that through these guys. And uh, we thank you so much. Um, I say it again uh, every time in this episode, in the, in this podcast, but thank you that you have invited us into this story uh, of redemption that you, you could have done it on your own, but you've invited us to be a part of it. And so thank you that we get to be a part of that. Thank you that we get to love you and um, be loved by you. And uh, thank you for liking us in Jesus name. Amen. (laughs) Philippe, uh, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about you? plan with purpose or some of the stuff that you're doing in the, in the marketing efforts with that. Uh, We are at plantwithpurpose.org, And over there, you can also sign up for some email updates on social media. We are, um, you can just search for plant with purpose or on Twitter slash Instagram at plant W purpose. And fun thing about Instagram is for every new follower we get, uh, we plant a tree. So that's literally one of the easier ways oh, you cool. can plant a tree right away. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Philippe, for being on the show. And uh, we'll continue to pray for your organization. And we wish yeah, you guys thanks. the These best. These are some of my favorite things to, to talk about. So that was a lot of fun for me. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. 
We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.